0: I'm sure for parents, frightening to a certain extent. Um, but I mean, that's what life is. You're like, a lot of it's just luck. A lot of it's just experiencing uh, whatever's put in front of you and trying to do the best with what information you have. And obviously, yeah, like you said, in the early 20s, it's pretty reckless and you really want to just like, you think the world is yours. And uh... hello,
1: everyone. I'm Denise Gorant. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining me for another conversation about the ins and outs of parenting adult children. Your diapering days are over. Now it's time to consider when to bite your tongue. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Ellen is not with me today, but she'll be back soon, I hope. I'm so looking forward to her finishing her book and then sharing it with all of you. I know it's going to be a good one. So it's really hard to believe this is our 11th episode. I never thought I'd make it past episode two. So thank you all for your support. I hope by now you've checked out our new website, BiteYourTonguePodcast.com. All the episodes are there so you can listen at any time at your leisure. I'd love to hear from all of you when you do listen. I listen when I take a walk. Sometimes when I'm having a hard time going to sleep, I put on a podcast and I set my sleep timer for like 15 minutes, and then it slowly puts me to sleep. I listen sometimes when I'm cleaning the house, and I always listen to podcasts when I'm running errands in the car. There's so many times when it's just so easy to tune in and you learn so much. I'd love to hear when you listen. So now for today. When we started this podcast, many listeners asked if we could hear from some young adults. Let's learn more about this stage of life from them. Well, today's the day. I twisted the arm of two wonderful young adults, both in their early 30s. Dan grew up in Vermont and now lives near New York City. Sarah grew up in Denver, and she's a professional living in Denver. I don't want to share too much about them because they have their own stories to tell. So let's get started. Welcome, Sarah and Dan. First, thank you guys so much for doing this. I know it was a lot to ask. I actually said in my introduction, I twisted your arms. So I hope that's not completely true. But anyway, literally since day one, when I started this podcast, the listeners have been asking to hear from some young adults. Now, I want everyone to understand that you can only speak to your perspective. You certainly do not represent every young adult in the universe. I want to disclose, too, that Sarah and Dan are both white, uh, middle class or upper middle class and educated, so our diversity level here is very low. Um, We're hoping in some future episodes to start exploring some different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds for a fuller and deeper understanding for all of us, but I feel really lucky to have Dan and Sarah with me today, so we're going to start with them, so let's get started. Um, Sarah, I'm going to start with you and ask you just to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are.
2: Um, That's always a really hard question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am 32 years old. Um, I grew up in Denver. I still live here. Um, I work in marketing communications now for a realtor association. Um, Yeah, I think That's kind of it. I have one older sister who lives out of state, um, and my mom still lives in Denver, so we live close by, like within 10 minutes. That's perfect. Okay, Dan, can you do the same?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having us on. Uh, It was really nice of you to send the invite. So I am a 31-year-old I grew up in Vermont in uh, South Burlington, which is like, well, Burlington's like the largest metropolitan area in the state, even though it's, it's a pretty small state, but it was like a large town of that small state. So it really wasn't large by like city standards, but um, it was like, I felt like it was a, like a safe upbringing uh i was in the air force for six years i went to a liberal arts school before that i moved to new york after going on a deployment to korea and south south korea and japan Um, i really liked city life realized i wanted to be there more of like a, a city scape if you will um and then i met my fiance in new york then she got into UCLA Anderson, moved out to LA for 2 years and we just got back. Now we're living in Union City, New Jersey and working in New York in Midtown. So I don't think as you had prefaced in the episode, I don't think I'm really representative of our generation as a whole per se, but you know that's that was my timeline, I guess.
1: But I feel like both of you are pretty well read and in touch with the world. So when you respond and when we talk, it doesn't just have to be about you. It might be, you know, I think a lot of young people feel this way. And certainly none of it's cast in stone. But I completely forgot, uh, Dan, that you were in the military. You've had a really great journey. I'd love to talk to you more about your time in Korea and Vietnam. It must have been really, really interesting. Um Anyway, so let's get to our little talking to each of you about your journey to adulthood. And I guess we'll just go back and forth. Although, no, I'm going to make Dan start this one. It's not fair that Sarah has to be first each time, right? (laughs) Um, Dan, when did you start thinking of yourself as an adult or do you? Did you ever say, oh, geez, I'm an adult now. And what do you think got you there or not?
0: I don't know if it was a conscious decision so much. I never really had that internal dialogue, but um, I'm sure my parents would tell you I acted as if I thought that when I was about 15. Um, I don't know. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know. Like each, each like phase in life, you sort of like look back and and realize how naive I might have been at a certain point in time where I may have thought that I knew it all or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I think experiences build upon themselves and get wiser with age. So
1: did it ever have to do with when you felt completely financially separate from your parents? Did you feel you were more on your own or it was more lifestyle or uh, position in like where you were in your life journey?
0: Financially, I'll, I'll credit my parents for sort of when I was, when I was like in middle school When whenever I'd say like, Oh, I want this toy or I want this bike or whatever. They'd be like, great, get a job and you can buy whatever you want. And so I sort of took them up on that. And then I, I had a job since like seventh grade in one fashion or another. So that sort of, by the time I was like 18 and sort of like on my own, I already re- kind of like recognized that financially uh, my future was up to me. And, um, you know, if I really needed their help, I could ask, but I, I guess a certain sense of pride that I, you know, felt like my, my sense of adulthood was diminished if I were to go to them for money.
1: No, I think that's really interesting. I, I I love the way you said that. And before I go to Sarah, I can see Sarah and Dan. And if Dan would sit up a little taller, you can see he's got a Ben and Jerry's uh, shirt on, which is everyone's favorite ice cream in Burlington. <laughs> Anyway, so Sarah, how about you? Your journey to adulthood. And do you see yourself as an adult and when did it ever, you know, just say, "Geez, I think I'm an adult."
2: Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt the same way as Dan. I definitely when I was like 16 got my driver's license and thought I was an adult. Um and now looking back, there's kind of ups and downs to it. I mean, I very much felt mature and kind of like an adult after I graduated college and was entering the workforce. Um And then I actually quit my job and went to grad school and moved back in with my parents for two years and definitely felt like, did I just take a few steps back? I'm living in my parents' basement. Um, (laughs) But I think financially, a lot of uh, milestones have made me feel more like an adult. Uh, In my late 20s, I was able to buy a condo and my parents didn't help me with the down payment or anything. So I very much felt like this is you know, an important step for me. And I feel, you know, kind of like checking that off my adult checklist. But yeah, I mean, my parents always instilled in me, saving money is super important, and you need to be able to take care of yourself. Um, I was really lucky that even though they always told me to babysit or to get a job, to save my money, and they were able to Pay for a lot of things for me, so I actually used my like babysitting savings to buy my condo, um which I was very- oh my goodness, yeah, which I was very lucky um, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't just like a moment where I felt like an adult, but definitely being in a certain position at work and being able to own a home those were kind of moments where I was like, okay, maybe I'm here, I've arrived
1: Dan sort of indicated some of the role his parents played, and you kind of touched on it. What role do you think your parents played in supporting you through your journey to adulthood?
2: I mean obviously they played a huge role. My parents are older. They had me when they were 40, so I've always felt like I, my parents were a little bit older than everybody else's and they were always very supportive of me. I mean obviously every I'm everything I have, I feel like I could trace that back to my parents helping me get to where I'm at. Um I don't know specifically what role they played. I mean, I would come to them for advice and saying like, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And having them there to listen and to support me, I guess, has helped me.
1: So you guys were both really fortunate. So let me ask you this. Um, My next interview is with a fellow by the name of Dr. Larry Nelson. And he's one of the only, uh, I shouldn't say one of the only, one of the main researchers on this whole stage of emerging adults. And he's actually identified it as kind of a third stage of life. And he says that many times, particularly in their 20s, there's no structure and they can go through reckless behavior. I mean, when I say reckless, I don't mean you're locked up in jail or whatever, but that's your period of making some bad choices and having to get back on track. Did both of you guys experience that and did support from parents and knowing they were there help you? Because he says there's some need for parental support. You know, right now, my generation is trying to step back. But his premise is they're going to go through these periods. And the best thing you can do is be around a little bit to support them through these steps. Used to be kids got out of high school or college, joined the military, had babies immediately. You know, now both of you are not married yet. Marriage is is happening later. So there's some reckless behavior in your 20s. Um, Dan, why don't you go to that one first? <laughs> With the If you
2: guys could see their faces, I wish you could. Big smiles. I mean, reckless behavior, I feel like just sums up your early 20s. <laughs> but I'll let Dan go.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, I smoked a lot of weed. I drank quite a bit. I sort of like, I don't know. I had definitely a ton of opportunities to wreck the rest of my life. Um, if, you know, I think luck plays a big part of it, but yeah, I mean, as far as like having parents that are there to try and guide you, um, I'm sure it's, it's, it can't be an easy task to sort of like, once you reach a certain age at least for me, it's like, it didn't really matter what someone was telling me, I was going to do whatever I wanted. But yeah, I mean, it's, that's sort of like, sort of emphasizes the importance of not waiting later in life to sort of be there to try and like, to have like a supportive, you know, mom and dad that will actually do activities with you growing up and actually like, not just tell you that they're there, but sort of show and prove that, you know, they support you and what you do, regardless of what it is. Um, even if they, but at the same time, it's like, though, we definitely had a lot of like pretty frank discussions, some of which like we'll joke about now looking back. Yeah. I mean, in the moment it can be, feel tense. It can feel like I'm sure for parents frightening to a certain extent. Um, but I mean, that's what life is. You're like, a lot of it's just luck. A lot of it's just experiencing, uh, whatever's put in front of you and trying to do the best with what information you have. And Obviously, yeah, like you said, in the early 20s, it's pretty reckless and you really want to just, like, you think the world is yours and, uh, you know. Yeah, he, ca- for- he
1: calls it a very selfish time. You're only responsible for yourself. But I want to ask, yeah. I want to, I have a follow-up question to that, but I'm going to let Sarah go next. Well, did you feel like those early 20s were hard to manage and you were centered around yourself and did things that you're not so proud of right now? You took turns that maybe weren't the best for you.
2: Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say it definitely was a selfish time. Um, I don't think I was too reckless per se, but your 20s are just kind of a time to figure things out. And sometimes in order to do that, you kind of have to focus on yourself. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily bad to be selfish at that point in your life. You know, I did not do anything I would say I'm too ashamed of. It was just a lot of dating and having fun. And um, I didn't have too many responsibilities. My job at the time, I knew it wasn't going to be my long-term career. So there just wasn't a lot of expectations or responsibilities. So,
1: yeah. Did you ever – did either of you ever um... – empathize with your parents? They God, I'm really just running around doing cra- not crazy things, but my parents have higher expectations of me. Um, I need to get on the ball here. Or did you not really consider them in your journey? How about you, Dan?
0: I definitely was pretty self-interested pretty much up until I was like 25. I would also probably credit going to basic training as yeah. a turning point, if you will, where I've sort of recognized that there were consequences to my actions and I couldn't really just do whatever I wanted. And I sort of like had a sense of that beforehand, but it was, I had a pretty long leash with my parents. I think mom was pretty, her and I would have much more, not honest is the wrong way. Like my dad and I would have honest conversations too, but they're, I mean the my parents just have like really different personalities and uh, we would address whatever topics were at hand. Like I would, mom would, would have, I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't call it like sex talk so much as just like. Um,
1: <laughs> Your mom's a lot like me, Dan.
0: <laughs> yeah, she would be like more of just like how to deal with relationships and what was the best way of like dealing with people in general, sort of more of a, a broad sense. But at the same time, she would and then dad was a bit more stoic, but he would also chime in when he felt it was necessary. But that was a lot a lot more of our our like points of contention.
1: You resented that a little bit, but also knew it was important.
0: I guess. Yes. And at the time I would, I would, I gave a lot of pushback, but, you know, obviously I know that, uh, their intention was to sort of steer me in a, in a, a direction that was a bit more, less, a bit more predictable, less volatile. I don't know. There's a lot of kids in my high school who are, I mean, just in Vermont in general or any state, I guess it's a, a nationwide problem. There's a lot of, drug addicts there's a lot of kids who are dead now there's a lot of suicides and you know a lot of that uh stems from early 20s behavior and yeah. uh
1: yeah. you know
0: it's just a reality of life so i feel lucky in a certain sense and a lot of it a lot of that luck i i do sort of uh you know credit my parents for always you know not being assholes sorry right. that's okay fra- that's okay
1: Not sticking by you about, right, right. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah right but yeah i mean it was Overall, I think they did a great job.
1: That's good to hear. Do you have anything to add to that Sarah before I move to I have another topic I want to address.
2: Um, did I think about them in my journey? At the time, I probably didn't think that much about it. There, you know, I I have a very open relationship with my parents, especially my mom. We've always been super close, but there's definitely things I wasn't Sharing with her about my life at that time. Um, you know, I wasn't telling her about what was going on at the bars on Friday and Saturday night. You know, I don't know if I would say it really crossed my mind what my parents were thinking of me at the time. They've always been great role models. And, you know, I think if something really was going south in my life that, I would have reached out for help or they would have stepped in and said something. But I mean, I was just kind of a fun, carefree time. And no, I, I guess I didn't really think that much about what my parents were thinking of me.
1: So as you were talking about this, and Sarah particularly was, well, and Dan, too, about uh, becoming, you know, financially secure. Sarah, you bought a condo as a young person in your 20s. That's very, very impressive. On your own, no down payment. I mean, I see parents now giving their kids these huge down payments. And, you know, it's sort of crazy to me. But anyway, do you guys wish you would have had a better uh, financial education growing up? either through school or through your parents and what would have helped? Because I see a lot of kids not even understanding what a Roth IRA is or how much to put into their 401ks or what they should be saving, how to get a mortgage. Why don't you address that one first, Sarah?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. That's actually something I've talked about um, with a lot of my friends. I would say I definitely wish I had had more of a formal financial education growing up. I think you know, once you enter the real world and you start having to figure out your taxes and making decisions on insurance and setting up your 401k and just all of that can be pretty overwhelming, at least from personal experience. I felt a little like I was in over my head. And even now, I'm definitely still learning more about a lot of things that, you know, maybe it would have been helpful if I had learned at a younger age. You know, but also in retrospect, it's obviously easy to say now that yeah, that I could benefit from having had that. You know, I don't know if I necessarily would have been able to grasp all of that, or if it really would have resonated with me, or if I even really would have been listening if someone had tried to help me out or teach me about those things at a at a younger age. Dan?
0: I mean, I think my parents did a pretty good job overall with finances Mom was a very very big Dave Ramsey fan, so very debt averse, very anti credit cards. But I don't think I really like recognized how important it was to follow through it, not just listen and like know the principles, but actually like act on it with your own money once you get paychecks. To not just like blow it on whatever I wanted at the time, but to actually put money away. I think that sort of hit home the first year out of college. The main financial problem was like the the amount of debt from undergrad is like seems so insurmountable, like right when you graduate. And unless you have that education, which public schools don't require that in the curriculum, I think they would benefit. I think everyone would benefit if there was like tax courses or if there was mortgages and real estate finance, things like that. Don't have to wait till grad school or take econ courses in undergrad or whatever to like start realizing create a future for yourself and and make wise investments. Education is super important and unfortunately I think it does come down to to parenting and and whoever is raising you and whoever whatever influences you have growing up. Yeah, I feel I feel like my parents did a pretty good job.
1: But I, you know, it's interesting what Sarah said, even if it was there you're not sure, sure. you would have listened. Yeah. You know, both of you are in your 30s now and I wonder if your parents tried to drill this into you or whatever, you would have been like, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm fine. I'm saving. I'm doing just great. I wonder how parents can approach this.
2: It is important to start having these conversations and introducing these, you know, the concept of saving money and investing and whatnot um, with younger people. Yeah. I was really lucky that my parents definitely did talk to me about saving money and my mom managed all of the finances in our house. And, you know, my parents were always really responsible with their money. And I definitely remember as a little kid, my mom taking me to the Young Americans Bank to open up my first bank account. So, yeah, I was lucky in that way that to learn those concepts at a, at a young age.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. The other thing that's interesting to me, me, um, my daughter, we had a family vacation recently and she said this to me. We were talking about something and I said, I thought you always wanted to do that. And she said, well, my younger self thought my older self wanted to do it. When my older self got to that stage, I realized my older self didn't want to do what my yeah. young, you know, it's like, you don't under you think, oh, when I'm 30, I'm yeah. going to do this. Or when I'm 32, I'm going to do that. All of a sudden you're 32 and you think, gosh I'm 32 I was supposed to do this you know um it's kind of this not understanding about the whole again how
2: quickly life moves does that ever happen to you guys true. yeah that definitely happens i mean i think when you're a teenager or even when you're in your early 20s 30 seems like an adult and it seems like oh by the time i'm 30 i'm going to be married i'm going to be living in a big house, I'll probably have kids, I'll have this great job. Um and then you turn 30 and you realize you know, yeah, maybe that's not even what I wanted and also I I still feel young and I have plenty of time to um do those things and having those expectations they're not helpful and they're you know, a lot of times they're just not accurate for where people actually are in life. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, if you asked me where I was going to be at 32 when I was 25, it would not be the same as where I'm actually at uh, right now. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So let's now, you know, the, the title of my podcast is Bite Your Tongue. So it's really
1: parents want some advice on how to be a good parent to their adult child, but still not be too intrusive. There's such a fine line um, for all of us, and we're all walking that fine line. So I just wonder if you have any advice on how to, we want to realize our kids have their own lives and our families become secondary. And both of you I know are in relationships. And I think sometimes when you have a long relationship, that person becomes you know, like your immediate family. Any advice to parents on how to be respectful of this, to still be in your life, yet not be intrusive? Um, how to approach things? What do you like the best? You know, that what works for you? Anyway, okay, go first, Sarah.
2: <laughs> not being intrusive, you know, that's a hard question. I guess I would say relationships with your parents, relationships with your friends, with your coworkers, your siblings they change and they go through phases, um, you know, especially in terms of when you are in a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I think it's super normal for that to kind of become the focal point, especially when it's new. And, you know, even with friends, I think you just realize that like, oh, you know, when you're starting to date somebody new and it's becoming more serious that you're probably going to be more focused on that and other relationships kind of, you know, they're still important, but they do get pushed to the side to an extent. And I think as a parent, you also have to understand that that's natural and that happens. You know, I definitely am very close with my parents and I'm open with them. And I really feel lucky that they don't push me on a lot of things, especially my mom, she kind of lets me come to her when I want to talk about certain things. And I think that works really well, you know, just letting the relationship be natural, I think is important. And just knowing that it's going to change as you get older or as certain things in your life become more important and take up, um, more time and just more of your focus. <laughs> no, that's perfect. How about you, Dan? Yeah.
0: I mean, I would agree with everything Sarah said. I don't know. I fear that like, uh, parents, or at least, they can sort of treat children as if they're the uh the moldable beings that they were you know when they were 10 and then they forget to sort of modify how they treat them after you know we go through our life experiences and developments you know like if we go to college the whole point of that is for education it's for development personal development but if you if they still ask you if you're i don't know using deodorant when you're like I don't know, 28. It's like, <laughs> is this really the question you want to be asking me? Like, there's more interesting stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's. Uh, but yeah, I agree with everything Sarah said. I think it's, uh, you know, your, your relationship changes with your parents as time goes on. But um, again, it's like all building upon your experiences that you've had. And you've, you're, I don't know, as far as relationships go, I think just being inquisitive, just asking questions, I think is healthy. I think it's, I don't think it's something that parents should necessarily feel they need to bite their tongue about. Um, But again, that depends based on your relationship with your parents. Like my mom is really like, she'll ask me like how my, like, I think she wants to be her and my, my fiance's parents live across the country. And I think my mom's pretty social and she like really likes to be in the know and talk with people as much as she can and like socialize and, Throw parties and things like that, but um, you know, we're living across the country, and she's be being like a bit of mobile. You know, it's difficult to do that. So she'll ask me, like, "Is it okay if I like text Natalie's mom and you know see if we have a Zoom or whatever?" I think like I don't, I don't feel like you have to ask me. Like, it's totally fine if you want to do that, but um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if there's everyone's relationship with everyone else is sort of different.
1: Yeah, I would say that most people have told me if you're going to step over a line where you're interacting with your kids, significant others or friends, yep. it's a good idea to ask them if that's okay. So that's pretty open of you, Dan, to say, Hey, if you want to do it, go ahead. Cause I think I would respect my kids and say, is it okay if I contact yep. X, Y, or Z? I don't know about what you think about that, Sarah.
2: To be honest. I mean, my mom isn't that social, so I don't know if I would <laughs> see her, um, even reaching out to my friends or to other people like that. But yeah, I would probably want a heads up or just to know that she was doing that. Um, But it's hard for me to even really uh, picture that happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. um, So let me ask you this.
1: If your parents did not like your significant other, you're dating someone and they just think, oh my gosh, what the heck is she thinking? What the heck is he thinking? Would you like them to tell you? And if so, how?
2: Okay, Sarah, go. I have to pick the person to go or no one will speak. (laughs) Yeah, I would want um, my parents to tell me. Uh, You know, I actually did have my mom tell me once that she didn't like someone I was dating I had been dating some, this person for a couple of months and invited them to go to dinner when my sister was visiting in town. So it was me, my mom and this guy I was dating. And after dinner, I did ask her, what did you think of him? And she said, I don't really think you guys are a good fit. And obviously I was kind of shocked. It bothered me that she didn't approve of him or didn't Really like him that much because obviously I liked him at the time and was hoping that she would feel the same way. But I'm glad that she told me. I think that, you know, she gave me that feedback because I asked for it. So it didn't just come out of nowhere. And I, you know, obviously I expected her to be honest and she was. I think you need to be really careful with that as a parent or as a friend or as anyone to give someone that kind of feedback. And definitely need to make sure you do it sooner rather than later. If I was, you know, fully in a long relationship or long term relationship with someone, I definitely wouldn't want to then hear like, "Oh yeah, we don't like him." Um, But I think if if somebody asks you, then yes, you should be honest and and tell them. And was she right? And was she right? Um, Yeah, I think she was right. I. I mean, he was a, a nice person, but no, I don't think he was right for me. And, you know, I didn't break up with him immediately after she told me that, but it probably did. You know, I, it bothered me that she had said that and it made me think a little bit more. And eventually I realized like, yeah, this, this isn't a good fit. Got it. Got it. How about you, Dan?
0: I'd like to hear that sooner rather than later because yeah, they tend to, to usually be right. Um, I try to be a bit more reserved and I don't necessarily introduce them to my parents if I'm in a relationship with someone until I feel like it's appropriate to do so. Um, but yeah, I mean, right, they're, they're usually spot on, but at the same time, if they're if, if they don't like someone, I'm definitely going to want to hear it, but I'm going to be more interested in why they don't like them and then sort of dig into whatever their reasoning is. That way, you know, if I can sort of expect that to be something that they're looking for in whoever, whether it doesn't work out, like what was the red flag? That'll be something to look out for in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, it's more about more about the why I wouldn't really be hurt either way because I don't necessarily think that I would care so much if they like, I mean, I would, but like, it's going to be your decision. Yeah, But like, uh, obviously it'd be better to have them like them. Like right now, I think they like Natalie, the first time she met my parents, there was, She loved them or they loved her, um, which was great. And that wasn't always the case in the past. But uh, in the end, they they recognize that we'll figure it out. Like if it's not going to work out, like parents like saying if they don't like someone, I don't think that's going to sway a relationship one way or the other. So I think that's why it's more important to understand why they wouldn't like a significant other. I don't know.
1: Interesting. Okay, we'll move to something else. Um, Sarah, your mother lives in the same town as you do. And I know you speak to her often. Dan, your parents live quite a distance. So I'd like to hear from you how you stay connected to them. And are there any tips for staying engaged that are not intrusive from parents?
0: It's a bit of a challenge, I guess. But um, I don't know. I tend to watch my stories on Instagram. That's usually how she keeps up, I guess. But uh, we'll have calls probably once a week or so. Just check in. See what's new probably my mom and my dad about once a week and then I'll get texts here and there. Um, I've been roped into a few group chats with like family members for some people. That's great. I can't stand it. I do not want to be part of any group chat. If my phone's blowing up <laughs> and I'm at work, there's like, I don't want my phone to be blown. Anyway. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it works great for some people. Uh, But I think, you know, just having calls and, and, you know, if you can't talk, then you don't pick up, obviously. But, like, typically, you know, we'll call each other and and, and we'll chat if we want to chat. I don't know. I I don't know if there's necessarily, like.
1: This might be hard to be truthful, but how many times do you see it's your mom calling and you don't pick up? She doesn't
0: really call. I think she learned that lesson years ago. But, um, uh.
1: Oh, 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 okay. So she texts first. Are you available?
0: Yeah, but at this point in time, like I've sort of, I don't know. It's it's a moving target. Like I, I don't think there's a, a set rule for how often. Like it's like if you have something to talk about, call him up. Call him up, or anyway, whatever. Uh, like I'll I'll call her here and there. If it's more than a week and I haven't talked to him, I'll I'll feel like it's time to give give him a call. But
1: well, that's good. Yeah,
0: I mean, it would. It, I don't think I would be dealing with this challenge if I was you know, living in the same town as her.
1: And Sarah, you live in the same town. How do you stay engaged without over meddling or expecting too much? But maybe you've already said your mother doesn't expect too much. Whatever you're able to offer is fine. Is that right?
2: Yeah, she definitely doesn't expect too much. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I'm i sure I already said this, but I feel really lucky to be able to say my mom is honestly one of my best friends and, We happen to have a lot in common. We do a lot of things together that, I mean, we both do Pilates at the same Pilates studio. So I see her there, either we're in the same class or just passing by like four times a week. Um, We get coffee together. We, you know, I'll go over to her house and we'll watch a movie or watch a TV show together. But I always feel like, you know, I don't want to say that I take advantage of the relationship and like, you know, only offer so much. But I am really lucky that she understands there's certain things that are private or personal to me that we don't really talk about. And she doesn't push me on them, you know, when she gives me feedback or her opinion on things. It's very much times when I've really asked for it. Um, I don't feel like she's critical or judgmental or anything like that. She's such a good listener. I feel like we have a really healthy relationship. And I always appreciate that if we have casual plans to do something and something else comes up, she's always, you know, doesn't make it a big deal. And I just feel like there's no pressure, which is really great. And I'm, you know, really lucky to have that kind of relationship with with her.
1: So um, now I'm going to hit on a little bit of a touchy subject. I know, Sarah, you lost your father a few years ago. How long ago was it? Were
2: yeah, he passed away. It'll be it'll be two years in November.
1: Okay, so really not that long ago.
2: How did that affect? I guess it's only
1: two years, but your young adult years. You know, I lost a sister when I was seventeen. She was eighteen. And that really affected my behavior, impacted my behavior and my relationship with my parents for my entire adult life. I always felt, I don't know how to explain it, but they lost one daughter, so I had to fill in. I had to be everything sort of sort of thing. How that's affected the relationship with your mother. Do you feel any pressures to be more to her because she's lost her life partner? And I don't mean this in a negative way because I, I didn't see it in a real negative way for me, but I think that... People that go through tragedy or those kinds of things in their life really grow to be a very rich person in many ways. So I want to know how that's affected you. Yeah, I
2: mean, I feel like once you've lost somebody like a parent or someone in your life like that, you kind of become part of this club that you didn't really want to become part of. But it definitely impacts you. I think in terms of how it's affected my relationship with my mom, I definitely... I don't feel like she's put any pressure on me or has expectations that I'm going to do certain things. But my sister lives in California. I'm living here. You know, she no longer has my dad who would mow the lawn and do certain things around the house. And, you know, I I kind of feel like I want to help her with more of those things. I want to make sure that I check in and ask her if she needs help because I know that she's not going to reach out to me and ask, you know, I mean, I just, after losing one parent, it's just, you know, she. I guess even more value has kind of been put on her, um, as well because she's the only parent that I have left. And it's, you know, it's not something that I ever would have thought about before, but after losing one parent, it kind of, sits on your mind a little bit. And I just kind of naturally now have more of a inclination to want to help her. And I mean, she's very self-sufficient. She still is working full time. So I don't want to say that I want to like take care of my mom, but I just want to be there and make sure that she knows that I'm here and that I'm willing to help her.
1: So you might value her a little bit more now that you've lost your dad because you know what it's like. Yeah, I definitely
2: value her more. And, you know, I mean, you just realize you can't take the time you have with your loved ones for granted. And so I, I feel like I value her and just want to spend time with her while while I still can. And you, you never feel guilt from your parents. Your mother it
1: sounds like based on what you're saying about your mother, she would never say, you know, I'm lonely. You know, I don't have your father. Um, you've got to spend more time with me. Her expectations are not ever stated to you or you don't feel they're there. Would you say? Yeah, I
2: mean, yeah, she would never say that she's lonely or that she needs certain things. Um, but I definitely yeah. want to help her. Um, and I mean, just spending time with her is, is really important to me and probably even more important after losing my dad. Yeah. I mean, just after seeing your parents age and get sick, and just kind of everything we went through with my dad, um, I think you just start to realize kind of how precious the time is that you have with your parents, and the role changes a little bit. Um, you know, before my dad was sick and before he passed away. I would help my parents out. I would do things for them, but it wasn't really something that I thought about that much that like, I really need to make sure that they know I'm available. Um, and now I definitely do think about, you know, if my mom needs me, I know she's not going to ask me. So it's kind of on me to, to reach out and to be there for her when she needs me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think you grow a lot when you go through those experiences. And Dan, you're in a tough situation. You're a few years earlier than Sarah, because your mother's been quite sick for several years, in and out of treatment. You know, I saw her recently. She's pretty, I don't want to say bedridden, but chairridden. How does that make you feel? And what obligations do you feel you have or not have? Or what goes through your head? I mean, you guys are, you've both dealt with things that many, many people your age do not deal with. So there's got to be some things going through your head that would be helpful and of interest to others.
0: I don't know. I feel like obviously it's not an ideal situation, but um, you know, she's uh, she's been sick for since like 2016 it's 2021. Now from the doctor's uh, you know, original estimate she should have been dead four years ago. So, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a, there's a certain level of, of, of fortunateness to this current situation. Like she's around still. I can still talk to her. But at the same time, it's like she's like physically in a state of decay and it's not going to get better. She's no longer t- doing treatments, now palliative. You know, it's like I would, I would love to see her no longer in pain. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the only real solution to that isn't pharmaceuticals. It's death. But that's a it's a reality everyone faces. I mean, like no one's here forever. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on you know, I was listening to last week's episode about religion. If you, you there's plenty of ideas about you know what you know what the next stage is for, for people once once you hit the road. But um, you know, I think as long as you live a good life and you have and you have good relationships with the people in your life and have you know opportunities to emphasize with, you know, good values, being a good person, and, you know, having an experience where a parent is in a a state of final chapter, um, there's a certain level of privilege that comes with that because they recognize that, you know, the end is near. So they then are a bit more forthcoming about, you know, what they wish they had done differently, what life means to them what their experiences have been like and bestow that wisdom. It's an opportunity to sort of like not wait. I mean, many people die without having that sense of like opportunity to reflect. And again, this is like, I don't know. It's it's obviously not a good thing to have, but as far as like what the reality is, I think that's kind of like the only positive way to look at it is like to try and see. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you two are both remarkable. And it sounds like you both have really great parents who've supported you. And you're both so well spoken. I'm just going to ask one more question. And this might be a lot to read. um, But again, there's not a whole lot of uh, research on this topic of the emerging emerging adult, but it's getting more and more. I mean, you mentioned earlier, if your parent calls you when you're 24 using deodorant, it seems a little bit silly, which it is. However, There's a trend now to parents being, you know, they talked about helicopter parenting when you were like in middle school. When I hear stories about parents that literally call up college professors to talk about their kids' grades, I think to myself, you know, okay, I'm ahead of that game, but what what am I doing wrong otherwise kind of thing? But the one thing I read really stood out to me, how to be a supportive parent in your adult child's life. And they said, think about the other meaningful relationships in your life and take some time to think objectively about what it looks like to be a good friend. Good friends are trustworthy, loyal, dependable. They're encouraging, positive, kind, and thoughtful. They're good listeners. They're non-judgmental, and they express empathy. And I think we all do that with our friends. They're supportive in good times and bad, and they don't give advice unless asked. They respect your time, but they're fun to be around be that person with your kids. So that sounds so simple. Let's just tell parents, Hey, there it is. It's right there. Just do it. And you're home free. So then why do parents struggle so much with just listening, being not judgmental and not giving advice unless asked? Do you have any thoughts on that as we sum
2: this up?
0: I think it's great advice.
2: Yeah. I mean, I agree with Dan. It's, it's really great advice. I think it's easier said than done. Um, that's kind of the struggle, I think, in any relationship, not just with your parents, but even with your friends. It's it's kind of, I don't know if it's more of a girl thing or probably just a human tendency to want to help and want to solve people's problems when yeah. sometimes it's best to just listen and not say anything. I My mom is so good at that. Um, I wish I was better, but she is always somebody who will listen and be there for you and be supportive, but she's not one to just push her advice on or try to solve your problems for you. Um, which is probably, you know, another reason why I feel really comfortable telling her things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what we're all striving to do in relationships and it's
1: easier said And I'm going to go to you next, Dan, but I'm going to add to that, that my daughter, I, I always say, I'm not going to talk about my kids in these podcasts and I try not to. But one time my daughter said to me, she called me with an issue she was having. And I said, well, why don't you do this or do this or do this or do this? And she finally stopped me and said, mom, I don't need you to solve it. I just want you to listen. And that's really hard, you know, because you just have to sit back and say, oh, that must feel really yucky, or you must feel really sad about that. Whereas you want to say, call that person. But anyway, okay, Dan, why do you think that it's such an easy thing to do, yet we all struggle with it so much, or many of us? I don't
0: know. I think, well, instinctively, we want to, like, if someone's telling us some a problem, like, I think it's just human nature to want to solve a problem. Yeah, I don't know. Advice, I think, is best received anecdotally. Like instead of saying, "Oh, you should do something," and you should offer, be like, "Oh, I was in. Let me tell you about this time that I experienced this." And that way, it's at least it's a bit not it's not like a directive. It's more of like a something Mm. to think about. At least that's how I receive advice. Well, unless I directly ask for it. But yeah, I mean, it's I think it's uh, overall pretty good adage to live by. Be a good friend.
1: Yeah, I think both of you, I've said this before, but you're remarkable. So I usually end my podcast by asking you to give me, I'll just ask you for one because you guys have been great, one piece of advice to parents of adult children. Even if you've said it before, if it's something you want to underscore, I just kind of want to hear if you were talking to the general population of adult parents who really they're supportive of their kids. They want to have a good relationship. What might you tell them? Dan, I'm going to let you go first on this. Well, one.
0: Denise, this might be counterintuitive, but I would tell them to not bite their tongue. I would say if you have something on your mind, chime in. Even if it's on, on uh, even if you don't, you know, even if your, your adult child doesn't ask for it, you know, if you got something to say, say it because we're all going to die someday soon. You don't want to take your intentions to the grave with you.
1: Oh, Dan, I love, 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 love it.
2: Okay, Sarah, can you top that? (laughs) That was definitely um, really good advice. I love what Dan just said. I think my advice for parents would be to remember relationships are a two-way street. And if you feel like you are meddling or feeling nosy or like you're expecting too much from your kids, maybe you are, and maybe it's a good thing to step back and to let them come to you and reach out and let you know when they do want your opinion and when they do, um, need more from you. I mean, I know that that's hard sometimes, but, you know, I think, I think that's an important one to remember.
1: Gosh, you guys, that was so wonderful. I'm going to say and be really honest that I was really nervous about this conversation because, um, you know, it's hard. You know, it's one thing to be talking to my age mates and we all agree on how we're feeling. And now I'm talking to two young adults that speak wonderfully and might disagree. Like Dan said, sometimes you don't have to bite your tongue. So thank you both for joining me today. Dan, I wish you well on the travel with your mom. And I know she's a strong person and will um, take this journey very well. And you will too. And Sarah, it's just been great chatting with you and reconnecting with you. So I thank you both very much.
0: Thanks for having me, Denise. This was great.
2: Thank you, Denise. It was really great. And it was really great meeting you, Dan, and talking to both of you. And thanks so much for having me. It's
0: nice meeting you, Sarah.
2: Thanks so much, Sarah and Dan, two
1: extraordinary young adults. They gave us some great information to digest, but I do think their closing comments were right on. Dan seemed to feel that it's quite important that we don't always bite our tongues. Talk about the real issues. And Sarah's advice? If you feel like you're meddling, you probably are. Back off. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as I said at the beginning, we're gonna work on talking to more young adults from different backgrounds. I think it will give us a deeper understanding of this stage of life. For me, this podcast is not just about advice but also understanding the emerging adult from many perspectives. That's why I loved what they both had to say. There's a lot more coming up. Look for episodes on mental health, more on estate planning for young adults of all economic levels, and much more. And again, check out our website at biteyourtongue.com and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Send us your comments to biteyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com and follow us on social media. Thanks again to Connie Fisher for her editing. Again, we absolutely could not do it without her. And to quote our guest Dan today, I'm going to end the episode a little bit differently. Remember, sometimes you don't have to bite your tongue. See you next time.